Well, you may be seated and uh, join with me as we pray together before we open up the Word of God. Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you that we could be here together. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning, that we will come with an expectation of meeting you face to face. As we talked about last week, may we have a passionate desire to know you. And as we talk about allowing ourselves be known by you this morning, I pray that you will convince and convict us of our need to be known by you. Be with us now and may we be transformed by your word. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our series on mission and vision. And we, a couple weeks ago, finished our, our portion of the vision where you can see at the top of your bulletin exactly what our vision is. The goal that we have as a church that we desire to be that church as we seek to be spirit-led in that. And then we talked about our mission. We began the conversation last week about knowing God. Our mission as a church is to know God, be known by God, and to make God known. And in the vision, we talked about proclaiming the name of Jesus, both with our lives and with our mouths. And so we're not going to be talking about making him known because we've already done that. But this morning, we will look at how we can be a people who are known by God, a people who are known by God. And one of the best ways that I can describe to you this idea of being known by God is talking about my marriage, where in marriage you have got to really drop down your walls and be known if you're going to have an intimate relationship with your spouse. You have a desire to know them and be known by them. And I remember one time where the Lord God was revealing to me some trauma that happened in my life. And many times we take trauma that's happened in our lives and we try to push it to the side and not deal with it. But there was a traumatic instance in my time as a child that I kind of pushed away. But as the Lord was revealing that to me, I felt the Spirit of God say, you need to share this with your wife. And I thought, well, this is really, this is really rough. I mean, we're young in our marriage. This, that's going to be a weird conversation. But he just kept pushing and pushing. And I remember the, the, the evening that I turned to Hillary and told her about these traumatic events in my life. And I began to cry, and she began to cry for me. And she loved me through that process and understood more and more of who I was. There was this moment of revealing myself to her that brought about a deeper relationship with her. She knew a lot about me and we you know, were becoming known as we were married together and understanding each other more. But there are levels and layers of, of being known that we need to continue to put forward in our lives. And the same is true with the Lord. I had a choice to reveal myself in that moment to Hillary, and I consistently have that choice to show and share with her all the different things that are going in my mind and in my heart and in my life. You and I have that same choice with the Lord. We have that same choice with the Lord to allow ourselves to be known. And we talked last week about the importance of knowing God and how there's a cyclical connection where when we know God deeper, we come to know ourselves even more. I really believe that being known is both self-revelation and the revealing of self. What do I mean by that? 
Well, when we come to reveal ourselves to the Lord and we get to know the Lord and we have a passionate relationship with Him and the Spirit of God begins to talk and speak to us, we have self-revelation. More of who we are is revealed to ourselves because we can put on masks so, so frequently in our lives and we can pretend to be someone for so long that we begin to think that that's who we actually are. But there's a, a, a part of ourselves that we have been hiding and keeping in secret departments of our life. But when we come to know the Lord and we reveal ourselves to Him and we know Him deeper, then we begin to know ourselves more as well. And, and I put that story of 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 13 in there purposefully because there's this moment where Nathan is confronting King David because of his adulterous affair and his murder of Uriah her husband. And he takes Bathsheba as his own wife. And, and we see Nathan telling this story. And more and more, David is getting upset by this story, this, this parable that, that is being given. And he's like, we need to kill that guy. We need to take him and we need to throw him into death and put him on death's door. And then Nathan looks at him and says, well, you are that man. And we'll read what happens in a moment when we open up the scriptures together. That's a portion that we will read. But there is this moment of self-revelation that was brought forward as Nathan was speaking the words of God to David. It was a weird but powerful moment in King David's life where he then began to admit his sin. I want you to recognize that David could have continued in hiddenness. In that moment with Nathan the prophet who was calling him out, the most powerful man in Israel, David could have had Nathan killed. But he was so convicted that he admitted and confessed his sin. And that is what happens when we come before the Lord. We saw that in Isaiah. We saw that in Isaiah. And we, like David, can fear God's revelation of our true self. We sometimes don't want to get so close to God that we are truly revealing the depths of our thoughts and the depths of our hearts and where we want to go in life. We don't want to admit those things to Him. And so we fear it. But my friends, if we are going to have an intimate, passionate relationship with God, we have got to reveal ourselves and be known by Him. A.W. Tozer reminds us that the Holy Spirit does His blessed work by direct contact with the human spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in direct contact with our spirit, we are changed. And we want to have this moment of confession as David did and Isaiah did last week. And so when we come close to the heart of God, we can't help but want to be known by Him. To give Him everything. To share with Him all things. And so the question is, how can we be known by God? If we're setting this up and saying, it's important for us to do these things, it's important for us to be known by God, that that should be a part of our mission of life, and that's the mission of our church, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked that question. And I asked it for you. Because <laughs> we're going to open up the Word of God to find out how we can be known by God. Because we can ask the question, you know, this is really confusing, doesn't God know all things? Well, yes, God does know all things. But we can't fully feel known by God unless we reveal ourselves. So we're going to look at Exodus 33 one more time, and we're going to see the story in 2 Samuel, and then we'll look at the book of John and Psalms together. The word of the Lord from Exodus 33, 17 through 19, says this, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you 
by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now the story of David that we talked about earlier, 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 13 says this, Why have you despised the word of the Lord, this is Nathan talking to David, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For, you did in, for what you did secretly, I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And finally, John 10, 7 through 14. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. As we see in these passages, we see the cyclical nature of knowing and being known. And there are so many other scriptures, especially in the Psalms, that have the same heart cry of knowing God and then being known by God. Psalm 139, those passages 23 and 24 are some of my favorites when it comes to this idea of having God search my heart and know me. Because when he knows my heart and my thoughts, it says he can reveal those things to me. Where are the grievous ways, the things that I need to deal with? Know me so that you can reveal them to me. And in the passage of John, we talked last week about how God knows us and wants us to know him but the first thing that we need to see in our own understanding of how we can be known by God is to recognize God desires to truly know us there can be this belief or this lie that you know I'm so messed up why would God truly want to know me God should just be over me and and tell me what to do but but why would he really want to know me you know, I, I'm not that great. My, my parents don't even want to know me. Or, you know, my, my grandparents or my friends or my siblings or my, my kids, they don't even want to know me. 
Why would God want to know me? And we might have these lies that swirl within our minds, but here we see in these passages, specifically in John, that we are known by God. That Jesus knows his sheep. And we should seek to allow that passion, passion of his to push us to know him. His spirit is to take up residence in our lives. 1 Corinthians 3.16 There's also passages where Jesus says, I want to sit and have a meal with you. Now you and I, we don't have the, the, the understanding that the Jews had about having a meal. Because in the Greco-Roman world, and specifically with the Israelites, a meal was very important. And it was the specific time of dinner that was the most important. It would be like a two-hour long meal. Now for us as Americans, we're like, let's shovel it in our mouth and let's get back to life, right? But a, a meal back then was just to sit and rest with one another. And the, the Greek word that's used for that meal is dipnon. And dipnon is one of my favorite Greek words because it means long, lingering meal. And it was this catching up on life, having a conversation with one another where they say, you know what, here's what's happening in my life. Here's where I'm at. Let me know you. Let me let myself be known. And here we see throughout Scripture when Jesus says, I want to sit and have a meal with you, he's using dipnon. I want to spend a long, lingering meal with you. I want to spend time with you because I want to know you. He truly wants to know us. He truly wants to know us. But we can't fully be known until we share the depths of our heart with him. We'll not feel known or feel loved unless we do that. When we spend time in Dipnon with him, are we griping or are we trying to make a checklist or are we really just opening up ourselves to him, allowing him to speak into our lives and allowing us to confess and ask him to search our hearts, to know us because he desperately desires to know you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he wants to know you. To be known, we must first recognize that the Lord desires to know us. For us to be known, we also need to see. To be known, we must offer our entire self, not our exploits or excuses. You see, the, the concept of being known can be a little bit confusing. And many times when we come before the Lord, whether we try to do it or not, we have this conversation of, look at what I did for you, God. Look at all the great things I've done. Wow, man, I've been doing really good today. I'm really proud of myself. I didn't mess up. I didn't sin. Or, wow, I served you today. And look at my exploits. And we might not even say that out loud, but there's something within us that wants to brag about what we've done. Or we make excuses when we come before the Lord. Oh, I was just really busy I'm really sorry I haven't spent much time with you. You know, it's just been a really rough time. You know what's been going on in my life. And, and we make excuses without really going after this deep relationship of being known, allowing all of our self to be known. I like to call it purposefully prettying up our spiritual selfies because we tend to purposely pretty up our spiritual selfies in order to not be fully known. We like to look really good. You know, on Facebook and Instagram, people have found ways to, to tilt their head and take a picture of themselves and put a really nice filter on in order for them to look 20 pounds lighter than they are. 
right? They purposely pretty things up. In fact, you might see someone's Facebook profile or Instagram profile or whatever, you know, you're on LinkedIn or whatever it might be, and you might see their profile and be like, wow, that person's really handsome or really cute, and then you see them in person and you're like, You know, or they, they take a picture of their high school time when they felt like, oh, I really looked good back then. And then they're like 20 years older and you're like, who are you? But we do that to the Lord as well. We come before him with our prettied up selfies. We're like, okay, I'm going to put a filter on when I'm with God. I'm going to hide what's really been going on in my life and I'm going to come before him. Or I'm going to brag about what I've done where I look really good. But we need to stop faking it with the Lord. It means we need to allow God full access to our thoughts, our dreams, and our desires. If we're going to be known and offering our whole self, we can't pretty anything up. We've got to come mess and all. We've got to lay before the Lord and confess. We've got to lay before the Lord and say, man, I've been walking in darkness and I need your light. But many times we focus on our exploits, or our excuses. And I believe the greatest enemy to relationship with God is religion. The greatest enemy to relationship with God is religion. And you can see that passage in Acts 9. Saul was a man who thought he knew God. He was a man who thought that God knew him and was proud of him, always clapping for what he had done. He was so proud of himself, he said, I'm going to knock out all these heresies that are against the true Bible, and I'm going to kill people in the name of God because I'm so great. I'm so awesome. We can't handle any of this mess. And he began to murder Christians and killed, we see in, in Acts 8, killed Stephen, stoning him, standing there in acceptance of what had happened. Saul was a religious man. He was a man who thought highly of himself and it blockaded him from really seeing who Jesus was. The same happened with the Pharisees. They were high religion. They were so religious that they built a wall around the law saying we're going to be so far away from breaking the law that we're going to make up our own laws so that we don't even come close to breaking the law. Where they said I'm smarter and better than God because my rules are better and they're more protective than your rules, God. And they had this high religious view. But in the, in the book of John, in, in the very beginning, John 1, we see that his own didn't even see him. That the people who were supposed to be his own missed him completely because of their religion. Because there is a religious spirit in the world and in churches and in our lives. And the religious spirit desires control over surrender. The religious spirit desires control over surrender. Paul wanted to control his relationship with God by his goodness. He didn't fully allow himself to have a relationship with God to the point that he missed God when he showed up in flesh. Jesus had to knock him off his high horse. (laughs) Get it? He had to knock him down and show himself and say, this is who I really am. Wake up. Stop trying to do everything on your own. It's not going to work. I'm going to blind you so you can't even see. And then you're going to go get healed by someone else. None of it has anything to do with you. It has everything to do with me, who is Jesus. 
His religion had blinded him. He was walking in the religious spirit. And I don't have time to really fully unpack what a religious spirit is, but it's, it's a spirit that we allow to come upon us to make us feel good about our religion. And we blockade God from true relationship. And the enemy loves it. Because if we're not intimate with the Lord and he's not transforming our lives, we just walk in religion. I love how A.W. Tozer says it. He says that demons are the best theologians in the world. But they're demons still. We can have great knowledge. But we don't have transformation. One of the things that we see throughout the Bible is that God desires our hearts, not our hands. Just like we should seek the face of God and not his hands, God desires our hearts and not our hands. Look at what Rick Joyner says about the religious spirit. He said, The spirit of religion is a demon that seeks to substitute religious activity for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He wants to make it all about our hands rather than our hearts. But God desperately desires to know us and desires for us to reveal the fullness of who we are. To let go of this religious idea that God will love me more by what I do. In fact, in the book of Malachi, the, the, believers, the, the Jews believed so deeply that it was about their hands that they would, even though their hearts were a mess and their lives were completely messed up, they would still go and they would give all kinds of weird types of sacrifices in the temple. And here's what God says. He's like, I want you to shut the doors because I don't want your sacrifice. I want what? Your hearts. He's like, don't even come and worship me if your heart isn't in it. He's like, that's just religion. That's just coming before me and saying, I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to give you my hands, but I'm not going to give you my heart. And if he were to come here today and speak directly to the, the church, he would say, don't come to church unless you want me to see your heart, to know who you are. Stop pretending. Stop faking it. Stop offering sacrifices that don't mean anything because your heart's not in it. And then there'd probably be a lot fewer people coming to church if they really owned that. But that's what God desires. He desires our hearts. And when we are fully known by God and we are getting to know him on a deeper level, we will want to offer our hands as sacrifice out of love, not this sense of religious duty. And we'll give more lavishly than we could ever imagine because we want to please God and please God only. Our passionate desire will be to be known by him. Because to be known, we must be honest with every aspect of our lives. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. James 1, 12 through 15 reminds us that the mind is the battleground of temptation. If you and I are really going to be fully known by God, we have got to admit not just the sins that we've done, but the sins that we've been thinking about. We need to confess and say, man, my mind is a messed up place. And every time that a thought comes into your mind that is antithetical to your relationship with God or that is against being connected to God or that pushes God further away, he wants us to take those thoughts captive and offer them to him and say, I've been thinking this. You see, that's a whole different ballgame. 
than just coming and saying, oh, I did this. It's saying, I want to do this. Part of me is thinking about doing it already. And that's why Jesus says in the book of Matthew, he says, if you've thought about a woman lustfully in your mind, you've already committed adultery. Because you're already walking down that line of sin. You're continuing to allow that to play out in your brain. And that's just as sinful almost as going after it because you're on the line, on the edge of temptation. And you're allowing the enemy access. And you're not confessing it. And you're not releasing it. Those are powerful, serious words. Because the Pharisees, they had all kinds of sin in their hearts. He called them empty tombs, or full of dead men's bones, clean tombs on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. A cup that looked beautiful on the outside, but inside it was the dirtiest cup you could ever imagine. He wants our hearts, he wants to clean the dead men's bones within us, not just the prettied up selfie that we try to put on. We've got to be honest with every aspect of our lives. And we must agree with the Spirit like David did. When David said, search me, O God, know my heart, know my thoughts, the Lord would bring the grievous ways to him and say, David, you have messed up here. Here are the thoughts that are in your life. Here's your heart. Here's a picture of where your heart really is. Man, that's not fun. I don't know if you've ever done that, but when the Lord takes a, a mirror and shows you your heart, there's a lot that we have to work on. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there's areas, there are areas of darkness in your heart that God desires to deal with. Will you give him access? Will you declare as David did, search me and know my heart? Reveal those grievous ways in my thoughts and in my heart. And we need to agree with him when he calls us out, just like David did with Nathan. He could have pushed it away. He could have suppressed the truth. He could have murdered Nathan, but he agreed when the Spirit of God convicted him of his mess. He said, wow, yeah, I've sinned against God. And we know that the prophecy that Nathan brought forward about the sword never leaving David's house came to pass. The kings were a mess. You read Kings and Chronicles, you're like, wow, these guys are terrible leaders. And it began here with David's sin and David's mess. But he did confess it eventually. David Benner says, until we are prepared to accept the self we actually are, we block God's transforming work of making us into our true self that is hidden in God. Until we're allowed, allowing the Lord to reveal our hearts to us and really going after the cleansing that the blood of Christ brings to the fullness of who we are, where we're bringing about the, the maskless self and portraying ourselves as we really are and allowing him to search our hearts and explain and expound upon the fullness of our brokenness. Until we do that, we won't know our true self in the Lord. This is important. And you might say, oh, you know, I don't really wrestle with that. I bet that you do. I do. I've known many Christians who do, who think, oh, you know, my relationship with God is good. But then when they really allow the Spirit of God to reveal the darkness in their hearts, they're like, wow, I'm pretty messed up. 
I've noticed in my life that the closer I come to the Lord, the more I see my brokenness. The more the light shines upon those areas that I just didn't really want to wrestle with. Arrogance, pride, those things that were set aside. I would look at things and say, oh yeah, I confess that. I've done big, those big rock things that we think are big. Oh yeah, I I confess those to God. But when we walk in the light, he's going to reveal those things just like he did with Isaiah. Isaiah was like, wow, I'm really messed up. The same is going to happen in our lives. We must know ourselves so we can be known by the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us and leads us. And this is one of the reasons why, like I had mentioned last week, that we don't want to know God. Because we know that the closer we come to the Holy Spirit, the easier it will be to hear what He's saying to us. And it's not just about guiding us to where He wants us. It's about dealing with the junk inside. We see this aspect in the story of Acts when we see Ananias and Sapphira. They saw how Barnabas got praised and lauded for his selling of his possessions and gave them away completely to the church. And so Ananias and Sapphira are like, well, we're going to do our duty too. We're going to step up to the plate and we're going to hold back some for ourselves, but we're going to pretend like we did it all. But man, they passed away pretty quickly because they were grieving the Holy Spirit. They had lied to God, not just to man. That was a serious offense. But often you and I do it. Often you and I do it. One pastor said, if God were to deal with the church today the way he did with Ananias and Sapphira, every church would have a morgue in the basement. Whoa. We've got to realize this is serious stuff that we need to know ourselves, allow ourselves to know God, allow Him to reveal who we really are so that we can deal with our real issues and not pretend any longer. A.W. Tozer says it this way, Only the Spirit Himself can show us what is wrong with us and only the Spirit can prescribe the cure. Only the Spirit can save us from the numbing reality of spiritless Christianity, capital S. Because we live in a society, in a Christian culture that does not talk about the Holy Spirit of God. You go to the majority of churches, there's never a sermon that talks about the Holy Spirit. There is a lot of spiritless Christianity that goes on in our world. And people walk around with, you know, all this religion in their heart, pretending like they've got it all right. I've got the right doctrine. I've got the right morality. I'm doing the right things. I'm not sinning outwardly. But inside, there's dead men's bones because they're not connected to the Holy Spirit, the one who is the convictor. And I believe fully with what Tozer said. He's the only one who can prescribe the cure to our spiritless Christianity. Are you allowing the Spirit of God to do His work in your heart? Are you knowing God so that you can be known and that you can allow Him to know you deeply, intimately, fully? Because He wants to. The only way you and I can have transformation is being honest with who we really are and the mess in our lives. We're not knowing God when we're not spending time with Him and seeking the Spirit of God to reveal ourselves to us and we're not being known unless we really confess those dark areas in our lives. 
But we are to be a people who know God and are known by God. And when we do, it transforms us completely. Back to my relationship with Hillary. I love how my wife calls me out on my mess all the time, right? She does. It's a beautiful thing. In the moment, I'm not really happy about it, but she often does it, and it's always spot on. She knows me better than I know myself in many ways, and she can see the outside and have the capability of speaking into something that I'm completely missing. You know, I'll, I'll confess, uh, when I'm talking to my wife, I see something on Facebook, a pastor friend of mine who went to college with me, and he gets lauded for all these great things by the college, and he's an alumni of this, and he's an alumni of that, and I'm like, well, what about me? I wrote books. He didn't write a book. I don't say it all agitated like that, but I'm like, man, you know, I really should be honored, right, Hillary? Shouldn't, shouldn't I be noticed for what I've done? And she's like, No. Not with that attitude. <laughs> and she calls me out and is like, you know what? I love you, honey, but you've got a lot to deal with. And I want her to say, yeah, yeah, honey, you're awesome. You're so amazing. That's why I married you. <laughs> she doesn't say that. But it's helpful because she calls me out on my mess, and that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. He uses her to sanctify me. And when we're spending time with the Lord, and we're like, God, aren't I great? Aren't I awesome? Thank you, God, that I'm not like all those sinners. And he's like, ha! You're the biggest sinner you know. Just like Paul confessed. Paul, he confessed in letters to the churches, I'm the biggest sinner I know. And I know all of you. (laughs) But I'm the biggest sinner I know. Because he was allowing himself to be known by God. To be known, finally we see, to be known we must relinquish our fig leaves and receive his covering. This is a beautiful thing. Because not only does God call us out, he covers us with Christ. And then we have to admit and confess that we have fig leaves. This all comes around the fake self that we try to portray. And you might be thinking, wow, I'm going to send this sermon to this guy tonight. No, you've got to own it for yourself first. This is for you. In the garden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they hid. They hid themselves from God. And God pursued them. And he said, where are you? And they covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, I often say this. I talk about the garden often. Because what we were meant to be is Genesis 2.25 were naked and unashamed. But they were trying to clothe themselves and living in shame. I don't know if you've ever seen a fig leaf. But it's not good for clothing. I mean, it tears pretty easily. I mean, just imagine an oak leaf dress around yourself. And you sit down. It rips, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a safe pile of clothing. It doesn't really cover anything, but it makes us feel really good. I covered it. I'm good. But God's like, you're wearing fig leaves. Take those down. Let me cover you with something that will actually cover you. That's what he says to us. Let me cover you with Christ. Put your fig leaves down. Christ died and rose again so that we can be covered, so that we can come into the presence of God, so that we can confess 
and be cleansed. That's the point of the cross. That's the point of our hope. That's the point of the reality of the gospel. But often we like to be those people with whitewashed tombs and dead men's bones inside. Allow God to do a serious work in your life. Let us together do that so that we can be fully known by God. And that will help us want to make God known. Because if he can change the greatest sinner we know, he could change anyone. Let's drop our fig leaves and allow him to cover us. God desires to know you, the real you, not the fake you. Be real with him. Allow him to know your heart and know your thoughts and point out the grievous ways in you so that you can be cleansed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know a lot about my mess. There's more that you want to reveal. I know it. But the fact that I know a lot of it and you still love me and you still want to get to know me, I just, I can't understand that. But I know it's true. I pray, Spirit of the living God, that you will know our thoughts and know our hearts. Point out those grievous areas and take off the masks. May we drop our fig leaves and allow you to cover us so that we can be fully known by you. In your name.